0: It is officially 1.30. Um,
1: All right. Why don't we go ahead and get started, and we'll give out the CEUs in a second. Why don't welcome everybody to program session number two of the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, CCLVI, Special Interest Affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. Before I introduce today's presenter, Brandon, you want to go ahead and give out the uh, code for those that need it for the credit.
0: Most certainly. The starting A, um, CEU is A1DE8, Alpha 1 Delta Echo 8.
1: All right. I appreciate it. My name is Jim Yurok, and I am from Omaha, Nebraska, uh, side of the 2022 National Convention, assuming we're through with COVID-19 by then uh and uh with us today is ben Chamberman from foundation fighting blindness and he is going to talk about a program or uh, some work with they're doing with my my retina tracker so ben i'll go ahead and turn it over to you for your your remarks
2: sure uh thanks jim and thanks brandon it's a pleasure uh to be here presenting to your community uh i am the Senior Director of Scientific Outreach for the Foundation Fighting Blindness. And for those of you that don't know who FFB is, we are the leading um, nonprofit for funding research for inherited retinal diseases like retinitis pigmentosa, Stargardt disease, Usher syndrome, and the whole spectrum. We also fund dry age-related macular degeneration, my role at the foundation is to uh, educate our constituents on the research, which I'm doing now, <laughs> um, and uh, I, I also write about the research and work with eye care professionals. Uh, today, I will be covering, in addition to genetic testing in my retina tracker, I'm going to give you a fairly extensive research update. Um, telling you about what's going on in uh, genetics, gene therapy, stem cells, some other emerging approaches for uh, inherited retinal diseases and uh, dry AMD. If you're interested, we just finished our national conference. Uh, It's called Visions 2020. And all the sessions were recorded. And if you wanna go to our website, fightingblindness.org, don't go now after I'm done, but go to fightingblindness.org, look under the events tab at the top of the screen, and you can have access to all those recorded sessions on research and lifestyle. Um, That's a nice uh, overview of what's going on in our space as well. Um, I am going to go through my slides, and then we'll open it up to questions. And without further ado, let's get started. So in, in the, the space of inherited retinal diseases, we're at a very exciting juncture. Um, if you look back on our history, the Foundation Fighting Blindness and, coincidentally, the National Eye Institute were founded about 50 years ago. And for the the first 35 to 40 years of our existence, much of the research was taking place in labs, in academic settings throughout the U.S. and the world. But over the last 10 to 15 years, we've had this tremendous surge in human research. And now there are somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 clinical trials underway, for gene therapies, for stem cells, for pharmaceutical approaches. And in addition to those 40 clinical trials, if you look at this space even more broadly, there are more than 80 therapies that are in development, that are um, moving toward or in clinical trials. So a lot of that really painstaking, groundbreaking work that occurred over the first three or four decades in our space is now really yielding some exciting uh, results, having moved therapies into clinical trials and an important role of the foundation fighting blindness is getting research out of labs and into clinical trials. That's a very risky and expensive endeavor, but when we can do that, then we can attract outside investments from companies. And throughout my talk, you'll be hearing about various companies that have come into our space, and many of those have come to fruition because of foundation funding to get projects into early-stage clinical trials. And our current portfolio is about 80 projects, and there are projects funded – in U.S. institutions, Europe, European institutions, and other institutions in other parts of the world. So, again, the foundation is focused on the retina. And on this slide, I want to give you a brief overview of what the retina is. And basically, the retina is a very thin, fragile piece of tissue that lines the back of the eye. It's only a half a millimeter thick. And when light comes through a person's eye, through the cornea, the cataract, through that gel in the middle, ultimately it hits the retina. And the retina takes that light and converts it into signals that are sent over the back, over the optic nerve to the back of the brain. And then the brain uses that electronic information to create the, the images we see. So the retina really um, works in concert with the brain to make vision possible, and it's the optic nerve that really connects the retina to the brain. We often think of the retina as an extension of the brain because it is neural tissue. On the diagram that I have on the left on my um, slide, There are these vertical cells near the top of of that diagram, and these are called photoreceptors. And photoreceptors are the cells that do that conversion of, of light to electrical signals. They're the cells that make vision possible. And we have two types of photoreceptors. We have cones and we have rods. Cones are concentrated in the middle of the retina, they give us the ability to read and recognize faces, to see colors, and they enable us to see things in our central field of vision. Rods, on the other hand, are concentrated on the outside of our retina or more toward the periphery. And rods give us night vision, vision in dark settings, and peripheral vision. And then on top of those Photoreceptors is a layer of cells called the retinal pigment epithelium. It's a single layer of cells and it provides support to photoreceptors. And amazingly, each of our relatively small retinas has 125 million photoreceptors. So there's a lot of visual power in each of our retinas. And then on the right side of this diagram, I have close up images of a rod and a cone. And they're very, each rod and cone is a very complex um, cell. The bottom of the cell is kind of the engine where all the proteins are made, where the nucleus is. And the top of the cell is the sensory part, the light sensing part, and we call that the outer segment. So that's just a brief overview of the retina. (laughs) Um, our foundation has spent millions and millions of dollars to just understand the basic function of the retina so that we could ultimately understand why retinal diseases occur. So first I wanna talk about gene therapy as a treatment approach for inherited retinal diseases. And all the diseases that I've mentioned, or at least most of them, RP, Stargardt disease, and Usher syndrome, are caused by mutations in a single gene. Now, what's challenging is that there are upwards of 270 genes, each of which, when mutated, can cause a retinal disease. For example, in RP... There are 80 different genes that can cause um, RP. In Usher syndrome, there are more than a dozen genes. So genetically, these conditions are very diverse. But if you can replace the mutated gene, then you have an opportunity to correct the problem and potentially restore vision. And that's at least in part what gene therapy encompasses, And of those 40 or so trials that I mentioned at the beginning of my talk, I would say 25 to 30 are for gene um, and genetic therapies. And the way that researchers are getting healthy copies of the gene um, to replace the mutated copies is they use um, a human-engineered virus as like the container to deliver those copies. They use these human-engineered viruses because they're very adept at transfecting or getting into a cell to deliver the healthy gene, the healthy DNA. And these uh, viruses are safe. Their native DNA is taken out. And on the right side of this diagram, this knobby, colorful ball um, that I have an image of, that is the container that that is used to deliver the healthy gene, and that, in a very simple um, simple way, is how gene therapy works. Now there there are more approaches to correcting or replacing the gene that I'll talk about, but initially we're just going to talk about gene replacement. So I'm hoping that many of you have heard about the first gene therapy that's been FDA approved, not only for the retina or the eye, but any inherited retinal disease. And it's called Luxturna. It was developed by Spark, and it was FDA approved back in December of 2017. And this gene therapy specifically replaces... RPE 65. So anybody who has mutations in this gene, or most people, I should say, can potentially benefit from Luxturna. But again, it's only for that gene. And this gene therapy was under development for at least two decades. The Foundation Fighting Blindness um, funded about $10 million in early research to get this gene therapy into a clinical trial and what researchers saw early on in clinical trials of young adults and kids is these um, patients who had severe vision loss some were virtually Mm -hmm. blind this therapy actually restored significant vision some of the kids were able to put away their white canes they could recognize the faces of loved ones some could even see stars in the sky. So even early on in the clinical trials, this gene therapy was having uh, impressive results. And the, the uh, trial, um, the, the institution that ran the trial, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, actually spun off a company in 2013 to get this treatment across the finish line, to r- raise the big bucks to commercialize it. And again, in 2017, that happened. And the good news is not only is Spark continuing um, to treat patients, um, the advancement of this gene therapy has paved the way for other gene therapy clinical trials. So SPARC's work and the work of CHOP and the Foundation Fighting Blindness provided affirmation that gene therapy was, in fact, a great way to not only um, restore vision, but to commercialize a um, vision-related treatment. So I'd like to go through some other gene therapies that are in development. And a big biotech called Biogen currently has gene therapies in clinical trials for a condition called choroideremia. That's in a phase three trial. And also X-linked RP caused by mutations in the gene RPGR. That's in a phase two, three. The choroideremia trial, they had some um, impressive results early on. For most of the participants, the gene therapy either maintained or improved their vision for at least one year. And now, having completed phase three enrollment, If this phase goes well, they will seek regulatory approval um, to get this out to choroideremia patients. So again, they've completed phase three um, enrollment. Now, um, once this this phase is completed and they've monitored all the patients for at least a year, then they'll be able to decide if they want to seek FDA or EMA approval. The XLRP trial is at a somewhat earlier stage. It is in phase 2-3, but it just moved into phase 2-3. But in the phase 1-2 trial, they did have participants who had improvements in their visual fields and retinal sensitivity at six months. So there's some encouraging results there. So stay tuned for updates on both of these projects. So another partner of the foundation, Applied Genetics Technology Corporation, has three clinical trials underway for inherited retinal diseases, and these include a trial also for X-linked RP, an RPGR trial, and two achromatopsia trials. Uh, their X-linked RP trials, also for RPGR, they too had um, impressive improvements in vision at six months after treatment, especially in visual acuity. And now they're starting to evaluate the potential for a phase three trial. Their achromatopsia studies are at an earlier stage. And for those of you that don't know, achromatopsia is a condition that causes day blindness. What that means is people who have this condition have Um, debilitating vision loss in lighted conditions. Being in bright light can actually be painful. They also have poor visual acuity and color perception. So in the early stage of chromatopsia trials, they did um, observe that some participants were able to tolerate light better, which is a good sign that there is some efficacy in these two trials. They're going after... um, a chromatopsia caused by mutations in the gene CNGB3 as well as CNGA3. Again, these are still at early stages. And then there are other gene replacement clinical trials underway. Spark also has a trial underway for choroideremia. A company in France is targeting the gene PDE6 beta, which, when mutated, causes uh, RP. They're also pursuing a future clinical trial for mutations in the gene CRB1. Uh, Novartis in Sweden has a trial underway for RP caused by mutations in the gene RLBP1. Um, And then uh, the University of Florida was able to advance a clinical trial for LCA caused by GUCY2D mutations into a clinical trial, that's actually underway at the University of Pennsylvania, and then another partner of the foundation, Mira GTX, also has clinical trials underway uh, for achromatopsia and X-linked RP. So everything I've been talking about at this point is replacing the gene, the mutated gene, with an entirely new healthy gene. But there's uh, there are other ways to correct the genetic defect. And one of those is through gene editing or CRISPR-Cas9 is is the um, precise method. So instead of delivering a whole new gene to the retina, with CRISPR, you're sending a molecular pair of scissors to cut out the mutation in the gene that's still in the patient's retina. So you're not replacing anything you're cutting, and in some cases, pasting the mutation. And so um, a few months ago, Editas, in collaboration with Allergan, launched a phase 1-2 trial for a CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing therapy for LCA caused by a mutation, a specific mutation in the gene CEP290. And this is the first CRISPR-Cas9 treatment it's actually been administered in a human being. They've administered it to cells that were later put back into a human, but this is being directly administered into patients' eyes. So we haven't heard results yet. It's still early, and the company is also targeting people with mutations in a region called exon 13 in the USH2A gene, and that gene, when mutated, can cause both RP and Usher syndromes. So now in gene editing, what I was just talking about, you're, you're correcting the gene, the DNA. Now there's yet another way to address um, genetic defects. And that's, that approach is known as um, RNA modification or RNA therapies. So within your cell, you have DNA, which is like the library of genetic information. RNA are the messages that come from that library to the cell to actually make proteins that your cell needs. So, you can, again, you can think of the DNA as being like the library and RNA as like the messages. Everything that I've talked about thus far is addressing the DNA, But this other approach, it's called antisense oligonucleotides, is targeting the messages. And a company uh, that we're partnering with in the Netherlands called ProQR has developed this technology to address mutations in LCA-CEP290, USH2A mutations in exon 13, and they've also launched recently a clinical trial for the P23H mutation in rhodopsin. Now, most of these trials are still at an early stage, but in the LCA CEP290 trial, they had some um, pretty pretty, uh, impressive results in their phase 1-2. 60% of participants had vision improvement, so they've moved this treatment into a phase 2-3. And also in the USH2A trial, they have reported some early signs of efficacy, but this study is still at an early stage. ProQR is also developing these antisense oligonucleotides for other forms of USH2A, LCA, and in addition, a specific mutation in Stargardt disease. So again, just to recap, instead of addressing the actual gene, this approach is addressing the message that's delivered from the gene through the cell to make the protein, RNA therapies. Yet we have more variations on gene therapies. And this is quite a departure from everything I've talked about thus far. With optogenetics, we're not trying to replace or correct any specific mutated gene. And I'll explain what optogenetics is. On the right side of this slide, I have that same diagram of the retina that I showed at the beginning of my talk. And it's got this big X going through the photoreceptors. And I have that X to signify somebody who's lost all of their photoreceptors to an advanced retinal disease like RP or potentially Stargardt disease. By definition, if you've lost all your photoreceptors, you've lost all your vision. And again, this is what happens in people with these advanced conditions. So trying to correct or replace a gene is not going to help save or restore your photoreceptors. But what some very innovative researchers learned and observed is that there are other cells in your retina that survive after photoreceptors are gone. And those are called ganglion cells. And I have an oval um, circling those at the bottom of this diagram. Those again, survive after or, or in late stage disease. Now, normally photo, or I'm sorry, ganglion cells don't process light. They aren't responsible for um, receiving light to make vision possible. But what researchers have done is they deliver a light-sensing gene to these ganglion cells to bestow some level of visual ability to those, the treated eyes, performed better than the untreated eyes. So even at this early stage where they're mainly evaluating safety, they saw signs of efficacy. So now they've moved it into a phase 2B and they have 85 people enrolled in this trial. So stay tuned for um, reports from the phase 2B. Just recently, JSITE announced that they've entered into a licensing agreement with a big pharmaceutical company called Santin, which provides them a great influx of capital to potentially move this treatment forward to FDA approval if it continues to perform well. So this approach is really designed to preserve what a patient has. It might do a little restoration, but preservation is the main goal. But moving on to another trial, this trial is using a very similar cell type, but the idea here is to replace lost photoreceptors so you can actually restore vision. And that trial is underway in Boston and Phoenix. It's being conducted by Mass Ear in Boston and a clinic in Phoenix. The company is a UK company that's sponsoring the trial. They're called Reneuron. And again, they're using a very similar cell type. But instead of injecting it into the middle of the eye, they're injecting it subretinally. And the hope is that these cells actually integrate with the patient's retina to restore vision. Again, it's a, a replacement paradigm. This is in trials, in a trial for people with RP, Usher syndrome, and related conditions. Early on in the phase two, they showed that many of the patients had improvements in their visual acuity, about three lines on an eye chart at 12 months. So that's pretty good for a phase two. They're actually expanding this phase two to include higher doses of stem cells And so stay tuned um, for further results on this this trial. We provided, we being Foundation Fighting Blindness, significant funding to get this emerging therapy into clinical trials. And one thing I want to add is for both this approach and the approach that I talked about on the previous slide, these are designed to work independent of the mutated gene. So whatever gene a person has, that probably won't factor into whether they're eligible for this, um, these approaches. They're gene-independent. So finally, I wanted to talk a little bit about gene therapies, I'm sorry, stem cell therapies that are in development for age-related macular degeneration, both wet AMD and dry AMD. And in age-related macular degeneration, people lose that supportive layer of cells called RPE cells. They can also lose photoreceptors as the diseases progress. And there are many companies that are pursuing um, cell replacement, RPE cell replacement, and these cells are derived from stem cells. Some of these companies are also pursuing RPE cells with photoreceptors for people with more advanced disease. And in this, on this particular slide, I just have an example of a company in Southern California called Regenerative Patch Technologies, which has an RPE cell treatment for people with um, dry AMD. Um, a while back, they showed at a very early stage that the treatment was well tolerated. Safety is always important, especially at an early stage. And there was also a suggestion of efficacy. Now, University of College of London is pursuing a similar approach for wet AMD. They've had encouraging results. And the National Eye Institute, um, uh, Dr. Barty there, has moved this approach into a clinical trial as well. One thing that these companies are starting to do is they're putting the RPE cells on this biodegradable scaffold to help them integrate into the retina. So they're, they're um, better oriented and it increases the chances that these cells will successfully integrate. So, Moving from stem cells, I wanted to talk about a couple of cross-cutting treatments that the foundation is funding. And by cross-cutting treatments, I mean treatments that are designed to work independent of the gene causing someone's vision loss. One of these treatments is a strong antioxidant that's being developed by a company called Nacuity, and we're funding this project um, up to seven and a half million dollars. What researchers have learned is that in RP and other retinal diseases, oxidative stress is a major factor in accelerating vision loss. So if you can mitigate oxidative stress, you have a potential to save vision. And so Nucuity has developed this molecule, this drug called NACA, it's taken orally, and the idea is to slow vision loss in people with RP and potentially other conditions. The original work for this project um, occurred at Johns Hopkins, and it has just moved into a clinical trial, a phase 1-2 trial in Australia, actually for people with Usher syndrome. Um, they will be moving it into trials in the U.S., hopefully for RP and Usher syndrome, In 2021 Uh, but they were able to get the trial off the ground a little earlier by doing um, that launch in Australia. Again designed to slow or halt vision loss and do so independent of the mutated gene. Now another company that we're supporting up to seven million euros is called Sparing Vision. They're in France And they've developed this therapy that produces a protein called rod-derived cone viability factor. I know that's a mouthful. But what researchers have learned over the years is that rods, the cells that give you peripheral vision, they secrete a protein that helps keep your cones healthy. And in people with RRP especially, when the rods go, the cones go. So the idea behind this therapy is to keep cones alive, to preserve cones. Because if you can preserve even just a small population of cones, you can give people independence. You can preserve some visual acuity, central vision, and the ability to do things like read and see faces. So this project is um, moving toward a clinical trial that'll hopefully start in 2021. It's technically a gene therapy, but it doesn't replace a mutated gene. It's supposed to work independent of the mutated gene. And um, I I guess just stay tuned for further updates on, on this project. So finally... To round out the discussion of therapies, I wanted to talk a little bit about what's in development for Stargardt disease. And Stargardt disease is a form of macular degeneration. Unlike age-related macular degeneration, um, Stargardt disease is usually diagnosed um, in adolescence or young adulthood. It's a genetic Um, early onset form of macular degeneration. And it's generally caused by mutations in a single gene known as ABCA4. Now, in simple terms, what happens in people with Stargardt disease is they accumulate these toxins in those supportive cells, these RPE cells. Those toxins are byproducts of processing vitamin A. We all need vitamin A to see. But in people with Stargardt disease, when that vitamin A is metabolized, these toxins accumulate in their RPE cells, and that's what leads to vision loss. The RPE cells degenerate, and then photoreceptors degenerate, sometimes simultaneously. So the idea behind many of these therapies is to mitigate the byproducts from metabolizing vitamin A. A company called Alkaeus has actually come up with a form of vitamin A for people to take orally that burns cleaner than vitamin A we get in our diets. This is in a phase two clinical trial for um, people with Stargardt disease. They haven't reported results yet. Um, so stay tuned for that. Other companies like Acucella, B-Light, and Stargardt disease have drugs that you take that slow the uptake of vitamin A to the retina to hopefully um, slow the accumulation of toxins and the resulting vision loss. Now, a company called Ivaric Bio is pursuing a different target for treatments. They're actually going after what's called the complement system or the immune system. What um, researchers have found is that the immune system, this complement system that normally fights off harmful pathogens like bacteria and viruses and things like that, it often is, over, is um, overactive in people with retinal diseases. And instead of fighting off a pathogen, it can actually attack retinal tissues. So Iveric bio has a phase 2 clinical trial of a protein to try to mitigate um, uh, the complement system, to slow down the immune system, to um, preserve vision and preserve photoreceptors. But one thing that's really cool about Zamora is they've gotten into the gene therapy business. They're developing a gene therapy for Stargardt disease to replace ABCA4 And they also have gene therapies in development for best disease and RP caused by rhodopsin mutations. So that concludes the bulk of my presentation. We're going to start talking about genetic testing in my retina tracker. But there are many more therapies that are not quite as far down the pipeline that are addressing the conditions that we've talked about today. In addition to um, many other um, genes and retinal conditions. But I wanted to um, go down the home stretch to this talk, talking about um, genetic testing in my retina tracker. For anybody with an inherited retinal disease, it's important that you identify the mutated gene causing their condition. And that the reason is it's the gene that's the underlying cause of the disease. You can look at a retina and say, hey, somebody's got RP or they have Stargardt disease. Even the best clinicians can make a preliminary diagnosis, but it's not until you identify the mutated gene that you have a definitive diagnosis because many of these conditions can look alike. They can even fool the best clinicians. So the foundation has embarked on a no-cost genetic testing program to help people get genetically screened to identify their mutated gene. And once you have that gene identified, you're better able to understand the inheritance pattern in family members, be they siblings or um, parents or um, children, 25 minutes maybe,
3: Diane, you should be allowed to talk. So I was curious about the... um, So I've done the genetic testing and mine came... I was one of the one-third, I guess, that comes back inconclusive. And I was wondering when a new round of expanded um, gene panels may become available.
2: So, um, who did the testing and when was it done?
3: Um, I did it uh, just this last spring, and I did it uh, through the Blueprint
2: Genetics panel. So, the, the Blueprint policy is you need to wait a total of about four years until you pursue if you want another no cost genetic test Um, by then the panel will have expanded hopefully significantly and it would be a good time (coughs) to get retested now in the interim let's say you're two years down the road and you still want to get a result sooner and you don't want to wait four years you can opt to get um, testing but you're you're going to have to pay for it. And your insurance company may or may not pay for it. Um, it's not, I, I can't provide quotes um, at the moment, but it isn't that prohibitively expensive um, if you wanted to pay out of pocket or if your insurance company will pay. What I would suggest, um, I presume you got genetic counseling from Informed DNA? I did. Okay. I would ask them when they believe it would make sense for you personally to get retested, whether you should wait the four years. Um, because there are different levels of inconclus- inconclusivity. I'm sure that's not a word. but <laughs> probably probably not. Inconclusiveness, but you're right. I don't know if right. either one or will work. <laughs> right. So sometimes they have clues. Yeah. Sometimes they don't. Um, But I think that's where it makes sense to talk to informed DNA. Okay. Um, Sometimes what happens is for some diseases, you need two copies to get a diagnosis. Two mutated copies need to identify, be identified. Sometimes they find one and the other, they're not sure if it's a variant that's pathogenic. But then a couple of years down the road, researchers will determine that that second copy is pathogenic. And then without retesting, you learn that your result is in fact conclusive. But the, those are things that you need to iron out with informed DNA.
3: I, when I had asked them about it, they said, you know, that the panel is expanding all the time. They didn't really have a date or a suggestion at the, at the time I was talking with them, but um, Okay, I hadn't heard the four years before, so that was helpful.
2: Well, that's for the free, to get another so, free test.
3: So I was told for $750 I could do in a, a, a full genetic, I mean, it's
2: everything. Um, okay. So that's, yeah. but Well, let me just say this. If you were tested last spring, I mean, I, I would yeah, definitely. We're talking three months ago, yes. Right. So you have a little time. Um, again I would go back to informed DNA and see what they think if okay. you should be four years, two years but you definitely can wait a little while Okay, it isn't very long
3: thank you very much, this was a great presentation I uh, appreciate your being here today
2: thank you, good question uh, Dan Day you are allowed to talk
4: okay thank you, uh, hey Ben, uh, great job as always today um, hey Dan Hey, uh, a quick comment. I've been, since uh, last October, I've been eagerly or trying to get the word out here in Central Florida about the availability of the, uh, the free genetic testing. And uh, for what it's worth, I've got uh, some feedback about it. And the consensus seems to be that it is very quick and easy. I heard one person tell me that uh, they, they sent the test in. And within 10 days, I got a call from Informed DNA saying, I'm your counselor and Blueprint is doing the testing and we'll get back to you as soon as as they give us some results, and within a couple of weeks, the person got a call back saying, we're ready to, to talk to you. And Wow. So yeah, it was very fast, and I've heard that positive feedback about it. So if anyone's wondering, it's uh, you can go to virtually any eye care professional, and, and uh, so far the feedback I'm getting is that the professionals seem to be very open and and uh, like the you know like the test. It's easy for them to order. Of course, it's no cost, and, and so that's good. And regarding Diane's comment a moment ago, uh, and yours too, Ben. Uh, if you get the opportunity, those that are listening to go to the Foundation's recent Visions Conference uh, website and look at the uh, at some of the sessions, Steve Dager, one of our our top uh, researchers in terms of identifying autosomal dominant genes and, and genes in general, said that they're discovering new genes at the rate of about once, once a month, and that this new approach they're using that's a panel approach, a panel of genes, makes it much easier to add new genes when they come along. So, um uh, it, you know, he made it sound like it, it, the, the number of genes that will be added to these panels will come along very quickly now that the sequencing is happening very fast. So I'll just throw that comment out for you, uh, Ben, to, to comment on. And finally, I was just going to – a lot of people – one of the questions a lot of people ask is, well, suppose I find out what my gene is, and now I'm wondering if other members of my family, maybe my children, I'm wondering if they're carrying that gene – uh, can they get tested at no cost? And uh, I think the answer is that there's a nominal cost for it. But I'll let you comment on that, Ben. And uh, that so.
2: is correct. It's it's nominal, and the reason it's inexpensive is because when they're looking at your family members, they know what gene they're looking for. It's a binary, it's a binary search. You're not looking at a panel of 270 genes. So yeah, it is it is inexpensive. Thanks. Thanks for the observations, Dan. Helpful as always. Melanie, you are allowed to
4: talk. Oh, great. Thank you so much. This has been a great presentation. Um, I have two questions for you. Um, one is I had um, Blueprint do mine in 2017, and I want to register on the Retinal tracker with those results. Is there a way to tie them together since they're so old?
2: Um, are you in My Retina Tracker now? I just registered, so yes. Okay, so you want to get those results into My Retina Tracker? Yeah. Um,
3: like, can you that... just upload them, or what?
2: I don't. Well, if you go to into My Retina Tracker, there should be a section for entering the genetic information. Okay. It's a pull down menu of all the genes, and I think it might ask you for your mutation as well. And that's a little tricky because that's a cryptic series of characters. So give that a shot, and if you're still having trouble getting that information in, send an email to coordinator at myretinatracker.org and just say, ask for help getting the genetic information in.
4: Okay, that's great. And then the second question I had for you was on um, the achromatopsia results. So I have achromatopsia, um, and you had, granted it was very small, but you had said that there were, or they had said, right, that there were improvements in light sensitivity. How was that measured since everybody's so different? Do you have any idea? Um,
2: you know, I, I know they had... Um, That's a good question. I don't know if they used one eye as a control. I I honestly don't remember offhand. I can visualize part of the slide I saw from an AGTC (laughs) presentation, but I don't don't know um, how well you could see the slide. But if you go to AGTC's website and go to their investor um, section at the top, you can download some of their investor presentations. And In some okay. of the recent ones, they show the, a chroma, the results for all their trials, and they have slides. I, I honestly don't remember what device they use to measure light sensitivity.
4: Okay, that's no problem, I can look that up. Thank you so much.
2: Sure, thank you. Alan
3: Peterson, you should be allowed to talk.
0: Okay, very good, yes. I was. Uh, uh, I had a blood test so about five, uh, five or so years ago, and I have a rare form of retinitis pigmentosa. Um, you said there were about eighty different variants of of retinitis pigmentosa. Yes.
2: There, there are eighty different genes, each of which. Can cause RP. Do you happen to remember the name of the gene?
0: Um, I, I don't. I got a letter. I have a letter that uh, we got, but uh, I don't. I haven't. I don't have it memorized no. But
3: okay.
0: Well, you, you said there was a pathogenic, uh, uh gene, or uh, I guess I didn't quite understand.
2: Well. Don't don't worry about that particular um, comment. But <laughs> your your test, I don't. Do you remember if the test was conclusive? Yes. Okay. It was So
0: it was considered a rare a rare form.
2: Right. And the the real question is, what is that gene? Um, because a lot of the clinical trials aren't necessarily based. On whether a gene is more common or not. Um, okay. Many times they're trying to address something that's easier to address technically. So the fact that your gene is rare doesn't mean it's hard to fix or replace. Can I ask you what your vision is like?
0: My vision, I don't have any sight anymore.
2: Okay. Well, with that said, what I think is going to be most applicable to you are going to be optogenetic treatments, maybe stem cell treatments. So, if you're interested in a trial, I would lean toward optogenetics. If if you don't have much vision left, a genetic treatment is probably not going to help. Trying to replace or correct the gene, right? So, um, the genetic results in your case may not be that um, important to getting some um, getting into a, a trial. Now, if you're interested in the risk for other family members, then yes, the genetic results are important.
0: Well, there's no history. There's no family history whatsoever.
2: Okay. Um,
0: I, I'm, the, I'm the lucky one
2: you 're the lucky one
0: well, <laughs> yeah. well. right. so when they do a, a stem cell uh, treatment, do they take the, um, the cell or the harvest cell from the patient or the person or- it
2: depends it depends on the treatment it could be from a, a, a quote unquote embryonic source it could be from the skin or the blood of Uh, A mature human, whether it's you or somebody who's healthy, it depends on the trial. Okay. Okay.
0: Very good. Okay. Yes. Well, it's, um, you know, I assume that it's a recessive form of of RP. I guess it probably has to be because there's no, I have two brothers, they don't, they have, you know, they have good vision, so...
2: It's right. I would say that's probably the case, but um, not necessarily. <laughs> not necessarily. Okay. Not necessarily. Okay. Okay.
3: Frank, you should be able to talk.
5: Yeah. I have optic atrophy, uh, which before you get to the retina, and I'm the only one in my family that has it except my younger son developed the same symptoms at around age 20. Any research in the area of ap- optic atrophy? And I assume no gene therapy to help it.
2: Um, that's an area I'm less familiar with. Have you seen um, uh, a good neuro-ophthalmologist?
5: Yes. Here in Burlington, Vermont, I see uh, a neuro-ophthalmologist. And I started to go mad when I was in the Army. I'm now 70. And I saw Dr. Uh, Walsh, uh, who was the neuro-ophthalmologist. He's the father of neuro-ophthalmology. Okay. Uh, well, he sounds all, pretty good. Yeah, they all say, I don't know. But that was 1973, so.
2: Right. I, what I would suggest is if you're able to do some Google searches, there's always the internet but find right. an academic research center where they're actively studying optic atrophy. Um, and, you know, you can email the, the clinician or the researcher and see what's going on. I know it's being addressed. I just don't know the particular projects and what uh, status they're, they're at. Have they ever told you you have um, labor labor's hereditary optic neuropathy?
5: No, they they okay. I think they ruled
2: that out. Okay. Cuz there's there's gene therapy in trials for that. That's the that's the one thing I do know. Yeah, but, they,
5: are, they are right. Unfortunately, I don't think I
2: Okay. <laughs> have that, no.
3: Nina, you should be allowed to talk.
6: Uh, hi Ben. Um I um had um genetic testing done um by blood work about 5 years ago at Mass Ear. Okay. And um, it came back this January with um, a result. And um, I was wanting to know, um, do they send those results to the retinal tracker? Or do I um, need to contact the retinal tracker? And do I give them the long stem of all these different letters and numbers, which they said with a chromosomal makeup? How does that work?
2: So you as a patient register in my retina tracker. Okay. You have, have you done that yet? No. Okay. So when you go to My Retina Tracker, you, you register. And it, it takes a little while. It asks for a lot of information. But one of the things it'll prompt you for is your gene and mutation. And then you can enter that in.
6: Okay. And would that be, would that, be that letter combination of different information that they gave me?
2: Yes, so this is where genetic testing reports can get to be a little cryptic. There should be a gene name, like three or four letters, and then there's the cryptic code that identifies the mutation, and you should be able to enter both of those.
6: Okay, so they said that my RP, which I was always told was RP isolate, was due to BBS2. So would okay. that be the code, the name of the gene? the gene?
2: That's the gene, okay. BBS2. And um, oh. then th- there should be additional information that uh, signifies the mutation.
6: Okay. And if I have difficulty filling that part out, who would I contact at FFB to assist?
2: Again, send an email to coordinator? At MyRetinaTracker.org and be patient. They get a lot, of, a lot of questions and requests for help.
6: Okay, thank you. And do you know um, if they're doing any um, studies right now for that gene?
2: Well, I think an important message for you and other people with BBS or maybe some conditions where they don't seem to be doing research on that gene is that there are a lot of cross-cutting therapies for RP that might help someone like yourself. Nacuity, that antioxidant, sparing vision, or neuron, J-site, those are all gene-independent. And with BBS2, you essentially have RP in your retina, and those could all apply. So I would pay attention to those.
6: Okay, thank you very much for your answer.
0: Thank you.
1: That's so it. We, go ahead.
0: <laughs> I'm going to give out the last um, CEU code. That yep. is uh, B2455, Beta2455.
1: All right. Again, I'd like to thank everybody for coming. And, Ben, thank you for your time. And one other quick thing I'd like to encourage folks, if you have are interested tonight, CCLVI will be hosting game night virtually 730 to 1030 Eastern. Our non-business board meeting tomorrow at 1.30 Eastern. And Hadley will be presenting on Wednesday at the same time, 1.30 Eastern. I thank everybody for coming and enjoy the rest of your day.